little intensity. Just, just, just the right amount of intensity. Oh, really? Okay. I, I'm an intense guy. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll work on the, the buttery finish. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Today we've got one of the most successful tournament players, the one of the most talented, most successful tournament players, Massachusetts finest, and also poker's finest wine connoisseur. Nick, I had no idea you liked wine, and welcome. I've heard such good things uh, that you're very, Thanks, very man. good. Um, I'm not super deep in the tournament scene, but people say very good things about you. Thanks. I was, uh, thanks for the kind words in the intro. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been playing tournaments forever. Been uh, playing playing the biggest stuff for like ten years or more or so. So kind of got a lot of experience and know all those guys really well. It's a fun thing to be a part of right now, especially with how big the tournament scene has gotten with Triton and all this other stuff. I know I see you out there a little bit um, and you know how awesome those events are. So yeah, it's a good spot to be a, a high stakes tournament regular right now, having a lot of fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I played, played a little bit. I remember we played the one drop together this summer. Yeah. Remember that one and seeing you in Cyprus a little bit. You only show up for the really big ones, which is probably a good strategy. Not exactly. The really big or the really small currently. I've played a bunch of really small ones. You've done very well at tournaments. There are what, 29 million tournaments, I think? Getting up there. Yeah, it's a little bit little bit easier to rack up the winnings when you play high stakes all the time, right? Like you just get oh, to play yeah. get to play the unlimited re-entries and uh cash for two or five hundred thousand when you're actually breaking even in the tournament and so i'm definitely one of the guys that thinks like all-time winnings is deceiving and not a really important metric although it does happen to be the case that also a lot of very good players are way up there so i think it's kind of uh whatever stat and not that meaningful but yeah no i've uh have been lucky to have a lot of good years and do well in some big stuff at, uh, in Vegas and stuff like that. So I can't complain. Still working on my Triton resume, though. I'm I, I still waiting for some big wins out there, which is the highest stakes we play. So um, excited to get back into some of those events. And those ones are prestigious. They're also, uh, they've got fancier trophies, I think. I want one of those watches, the winner watch, for sure. No, even the side event, they give you like a four thousand dollar Shambhala bracelet just for a random side event. So yeah, they're Triton's got the best best prizes, and uh, I want I want the winners watch though, big time. You know what would be really funny would be if you gave your own artistic critique or artistic way of describing the watch or the trophy or the bracelet because or it, it would be funny, but it would also be cool if you did it because you could. Uh, no one would be able to match it. Uh, I've seen your wine critic skills in action and definitely been very impressed. I didn't know all those words you used existed, but we'll get to. <laughs> we, you could throw out some words like uh, had a rock tangy twist or something like this. These are uh, yeah, those are. So so Darren Elias is my hype guy. Usually I'll send him some videos. He'll keep them. He'll keep them locked up, and then if it's time to create a little buzz marketing for an upcoming project or something like that. He might toss them out on Twitter. I'm not a big social media guy myself, but um, Darren kind of takes care of unleashing the, uh, the content when it's time to time to go. So yeah, that was a little, 
little wine tasting. I got some more in store for you guys in, in the future, but yeah, throw out some words for us. How has the experience been so far on the podcast? Uh, the, great. Um, how how some words for you? Yeah, it's been. Uh, I think it, it's early, too early to say. We just started, right? You can use some bad words too. You can say it's been <laughs> bittersweet or something like it's got a. I can't. I'm trying to think of like. Some words like assertive or oaky. What do you What do you think it? <laughs> oaky. Yeah, this is a pretty oaky podcast so far. I like it. I like it. All right, nice, all right. I'll take it. Nice and balanced, oaky, smooth finish. <laughs> well, you don't know about the finish yet. So relax. It could be a a, a spicy finish. <laughs> all right. All right. Here's what something we got to talk about. You're you're known for um, having obsessed with poker, and this is how you got very good at it, I presume. In addition to golf and hockey and these kinds of things. Uh, why don't you tell us about how um, this worked out? How did uh, golf and hockey go for you? And Yeah, I've always had like an obsessive, per- I've always had an obsessive person uh, personality with regard to sports from a young age. I kind of, neither, my, my family wasn't a sports family at all, but from a very young age, I decided I wanted to play hockey and that was my number one focus. And then probably that was probably when I was like six. And then when I was like 10, I started golfing myself um, and started working at the golf course and was kind of just spending all day at the golf course. I kind of just have one speed with stuff like that. So with golf, golf is very similar to poker where it's just your own thing and you can spend as much or as little time as you want on trying to get better and improve. And you're in charge of your own practice regimen. Um, you're in charge of how you manage yourself in the game, right? So golf has a lot of similarities to poker. Hockey is completely different. It's a team sport and you only have so much time that you can get on the ice and practice and you're, you're beholden to your team schedule. But I think in terms of poker stuff, poker being relatable to stuff that I did, golf is very similar. Like when you make mistakes or bad decisions, it's on you. There's no one else to blame. You're in charge of being prepared. Uh, And I was certainly very obsessed with it and basically spent all my time like I was a good student I didn't like ignore school or anything but everything I went to boarding school for sports I chose college based on sports so those sports drove my whole life pretty much and I was obsessive with it and um probably but in a fine way and then uh actually in college I I had a bad hockey injury and stopped playing and my sort of all the time that I was spending on sports for that sort of like competitiveness, I was, you know, put towards poker and I was playing very low stakes in college, but lucky enough to kind of have that approach where once I was into it, I really wanted to spend a lot of time getting better. And I met John Jaffe, who I'm sure you know, and who uh, you've probably played against quite a bit. And he was playing heads up sit and goes for a living and had dropped out of college. He's from the same area that I'm in Massachusetts. That's how I met him. And, you know, long story short, he kind of taught me everything that I know that I knew up to a certain point. Um, I never was on like two plus two. I never, I sort of just like, he was, he was so, such a brilliant player and was willing to kind of like, let me watch him play that I spent a lot of the time I spent trying to improve poker uh, was just watching him and talking to him. And it was a really great way for me to learn. And I think I probably learned backwards compared to other guys because he had a very exploitative, loose, crazy style. And I learned that first. 
and learn some more theoretical concepts on the back end, which for tournaments and stuff, and just back then the games were so soft, that was probably just great for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was just kind of, that you, you're spot on with, you know, I went from sports to poker and never really skipped a beat. And uh, I just love, I love poker and was so obsessed with it that it kind of, the, the, the work took care of itself because I wanted to be doing it all the time. Well, that's the best way of doing things. Like whoever is working on things should ideally really love what they're doing. So you don't have to, it's not pure pain to go through, uh, actually going through all the necessary practice and all of that. And like often success isn't guaranteed in many different fields. I mean, poker's nice because it is guaranteed. I would say if you really are obsessed and are actually like getting better, you have the attributes to also get better, which I do talk about on this channel. Um, that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's important to fill at least one of those, uh, tick one of those sorts of boxes. I, I think there's an, there's a couple things that are really interesting about your story. One is, it's interesting that you learned mostly from someone else which could be a really useful learning tool for other people because people learn in different ways. Um, and I think that your way of learning, although you say it's backwards, I think it's actually, it will actually in the long run accelerate learning to play loose and aggressive and get in all these different situations. I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but then it will like, if that, ends up not being ideal, it will hurt your bottom line and cause you lots of stress. But um, because like, if it's on the uh, the extreme end of things, right, which probably you were, it will, uh, this is my prediction that it probably does cause those, those negative consequences, stress, um, accelerated learning, and a little bit reduced money. Am I right or not? Or did you just- Yeah, absolutely. I think basically another way of saying what you're saying is, so if I had, tried to learn a traditional way, which would mean by today's standards, right? It would be somebody that's young being like, oh, I'm, I've got my preflop charts. I memorized them. I run all my stuff in PO solver and I know my seabed sizes and this and that. It's kind of like, well, when we were coming up, that stuff didn't exist. I know you played heads up and crushed kind of doing whatever you want, being out in the, in the weeds battling. Right. And that's the same way John was playing when I was watching him. And so, if you get yourself in all these situations where you have to feel it out and basically your intuition is all you can rely on and you build intuition for all these weird spots, then all of a sudden when you face different varieties of regulars that are playing strange ways or a recreational player that's getting down deep into nodes that are unfamiliar, you kind of have something to, to like a baseline for those spots to work off of or just like a feeling or an intuition. Um, and I think it's super important. I think probably all of the best guys um, online or live kind of have that ability to go off script and make good decisions. And you can't really get there without having first, you know, I guess you could call it playing poorly or playing too aggressive or whatever. But yeah, the loose aggressive guys, they have reps at being in weird spots and kind of figuring it out, like backing yourself into a corner and understanding. And also like to your point too, backing yourself into a corner, doing something really dumb that you just, it was bad and you made a huge mistake and it was painful and you messed up, you, you messed up a big final table or whatever, you know, like if you never <laughs> try stuff, you never really figure out what works and what doesn't. Right. So I think yeah. I'm, 
even though I've done a bunch of work with the solvers and stuff, like now I've come full circle and I don't really like the attitude towards the game that the young people have that are like scoffing at plays. Oh, did you see he used the size or he bet there? I think like you need to understand that stuff in order to understand the game, but they're missing the forest for the trees and they're, they're not getting the big picture of what's important. And it's really not a great development in terms of the community's attitude towards each other or poker. Um, I really value the guys that were great before any of this stuff existed and still have an open mind and can still kind of like jump in without being polished and play and make really good decisions. Like, I think that that's far more impressive than memorizing new outputs and like being kind of like a shell of a player who can play okay all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sitting around memorizing charts is not really going to, it's not going to work in the long run or not a very effective strategy, I should say, in the long run, because there's very many permutations of what can happen. Um, yeah, and by the way, the whole mocking a bet size thing, it depends on what we're talking about. It depends on, first of all, the follow-up and the rest of the tree. I've actually looked at some of the sizes on earlier streets, and I mean, there's not much of an EV difference. It's actually smaller than what I expected. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. Like So it's completely ridiculous to mock these kinds of things, I think that it leads to a certain sort of intellectual, uh, um, a certain intellectual delusion of looking at something that's technically a mistake or looks stupid, but that doesn't actually, in practical terms, that isn't in practical terms actually realized as something that costs much, makes much difference in money, which is quite a big mistake if you react very badly and think someone's very bad because of that because that's not the truth right just because yeah. someone just... i think it's actually revealing a lack of understanding of the game if you if you are critical of mistakes like that or or if you feel like you have to be beholden to a strategy that the solver outputs without really understanding it that's where people really reveal that they don't understand the game um whereas some old school guys that just kind of crush cash kind of making their own strategies in Excel or whatever the hell they were doing. You know, I, I've talked to so many guys that were heads up pros or, or rank or six max cash guys before all this stuff came out. It's just so much more impressive that they understand what's important and what's not. And I think that's probably what's lacking for up and comers that are just focused on sort of the optimal outputs, whatever they want to call them. Um, you, you kind of, if you, somebody that I view as like, you know, there's a bunch of guys that I view as sort of original kind of crushers, but like somebody like Makita, or if you talk to him about poker, like it's very clear that he understands what's important and what's not, and doesn't get bogged down in all these details and stuff, even though he's like one of the best and certainly plays in a really tough strategy to play against. He's not, he, you know, he understands exactly like, a lot of these differences are fractional. And when you talk to people like Ike and stuff, they get all this stuff, right? So the very best guys, I think they're, they leave the whole game open for interpretation. Um, and they understand what's important and what's not basically. Um, it actually, it reminds me of a couple th- a couple, uh, stories. I have a story of a, of a mixed game crusher of sorts. Well, maybe now he's, uh, it's gotten better, uh, in my opinion, but I played against a guy, who would uh, make some very big folds for very small prices and limit poker games. And uh, it would be, like, my thing to bluff him in, like, bizarre ways that no one 
would bluff in um, because I noticed that he made these extreme folds in these spots. And, uh, but he was very, very extreme, I should say. Like, he folded, like, like, like trips to a checkman raise uh, in limit 08, for example. Uh, you know, like PLO. Imagine playing limit PLO and a guy like min raises you and you've got trips on the turn, on the turn. <laughs> and, and folds is like, oh, you got king's full, man. I'm out, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> like, like this kind of stuff. Like a draw one uh, to a draw game and like, just pretend that I got there and then bet uh, sort of situations and think, especially after making a stupid mistake earlier, uh, and it'd say, oh, there's no way you'd be stupid enough to bluff here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, you can't get away with that kind of stuff too much. Uh, but you reminded me, like, this, this, is, this is what it reminds me. If you get too caught up in these sorts of ideals, it's sort of like this... Uh, big, it ends up being a massive mistake in the long run. And actually, I mean, I, I'm now into history and there's many, many parallels in, in history of such things of people basically thinking civilizations were idiots and then being proven wrong in the long run. Right. Yeah. I mean, understanding what's important, not getting blinded by, it. I mean, it's also just like some sort of insecurity or arrogance where they want to feel like all the information that they have is correct. So they don't really, aren't really open to other sorts of interpretations or strategies. Um, so yeah, I think that stuff's just poison for poker in general. And I hope that it trends out and that people are more willing to have conversations and sort of like open to, whether it's just like watching streams and talking about how people play or whatever, it should, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be nice to see people chill out with this sort of like, binary approach to how good somebody is or whatever. I'm, I'm sick of hearing negativity basically too, you know? Uh, so I have a question. Is it you that you think this is bad for poker or um, you think it's bad for poker in the long run in the whole scheme of the game? Or do you, are you just sick of hearing the negativity? I think it's just bad for the vibe, like the experience, like people like eye rolling, you know, like just the whole thing, oh, yeah. you, you know? It's just, mm -hmm. obviously, it's always going to be there. It's going to be a part. I guess I'm doing, like, a little bit of a minor Daniel Negreanu rant where it's kind of just, like, you know, we can stop with the this is good, this is bad. Like, there's different ways to approach stuff. And, no, I mean, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's necessarily – if you're asking if it's bad for poker in terms of the health of the game, I don't think so. I think it's probably the game will stay healthier longer if everybody wants to pull up GTO Wizard and play exactly how that plays or whatever. If they're just following sims they don't understand and don't know why or, or for what reason or how you change things and how sensitive it is. So I think, like, no, the health of the game in terms of people getting, like, too good with all these new tools, I'm not really worried about it at all as much as the just generally there are – it's just it's just not – a pleasant thing to be around and people will play for fun less because of this. And I think it, I'm already seeing it happen in our games where in all the talk at the table and this and that, like, you know, people like to play for fun less or they feel like, Oh my God, after I played with all those guys at poker go studio, like I gotta, I gotta either get lessons or stop playing or I need to start doing this and that, you know, like I feel like just generally yeah, contributes to a more negative vibe. Play. What's that? I feel both of those. I hope that means something that I feel both of those things you just said. Yeah. Like you feel it happening. You mean, 
Well, I don't feel that I uh, feel stupid, but I'm much more sensitive to the idea of, oh, shit, here's some things I need to do to prepare events in advance. That's, oh, that's you mean my... about yourself? Yeah, I mean, but, for you, obviously, you're, you're such a good poker player, I wouldn't even, like, intuitively, you, you can just kind of get the stuff when you show up, right? But I think it's, if you feel that, like, imagine how scary it is for somebody that, like, plays for fun and they make a mistake around six guys who are looking around like, oh my God, you know, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I've been guilty of it myself in the past, but it's definitely something I want to work on and hopefully that we all can, right? Because it's yeah. not, not really in the spirit of the game. We should, um, well, in the long term, absolutely. Anything that is unhealthy for player for the players, especially the recreational players, we should absolutely um, get rid of if like the other thing I was saying of that's that I feel and I really feel this is it's not that much fun. I think that that, but yeah, I mean if I feel that, then like what I'm saying is because I'm so I'm not exactly you know a recreational player, uh, they're gonna feel this like a lot more. Yeah, and I just think it's brutal. It um, is. It, it, if if the tournaments are this brutal, they. It, something needs to change. I just don't know what it is. And certainly things like that, like arrogance needs to go out the door. Yeah, sure. Especially the people who are recreational players playing high rollers. Have you ever tried business before? Very, very hard. Uh, like, I think it's much harder um, in certain ways than, I mean, many of the things that people do are much harder. Like running a hedge fund is super hard. Yeah, of uh, course. All these kinds of things. I mean, like I, I like now, one of my buddies uh, that plays a bunch, Orpin, right? He went from, he's a businessman. I, I don't know if you, you know Orpin or you've seen him around. Uh, yeah, I've, 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 uh, I know who he is. He's, he's pretty successful. He's a Turkish businessman. But it's like, yeah, he, he, he did a couple gambling websites, like sold them, like did, did really well and retired. And now I, all my, my point is like, he did a lifetime of working in business, super successful. And then now, he decided like he was going to try to get really good at poker and he's already in a few years, just like not that far from the best pros. Like he's making, like if he does make mistakes or small mistakes and something to your point, it's just like, you know, we can't take too much credit for being these like poker super pros when somebody can kind of just like get to be 95% of the way there in a couple of years after they had a full career in business. Well, that's what's cool about, that's partly what's cool about poker also is that, well, related to that, I mean, I think it's very hard to compete with top pros for sure. But these business guys, I think there's quite an opportunity here because they, um, they can actually, if they play in their own games, they can actually make quite a bit of money if they get to like 80th percentile, which is not that hard compared to other sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think, I think it's. The, the the guys that they put in a little time they get really good really fast and also just like it takes only a couple of years of playing a lot against other players if you're reasonable at learning from like watching pros play you can just kind of copycat and get kind of close to so you do your own work and you really work hard and it's one of your goals and also you play in the highest stuff just jump in i think that you know with some like a year or two of hard work you, you just get really close to being you know at least among the second tier of players in those tournaments. So, you know, that might be a sad truth about with, uh, if people work hard enough, like how how quickly you can get reasonable, right? I'm not talking about Orphan anymore. Like I think he got very, very good, but I just mean well, anyone, right? There's a lot of positives to that. Um, yeah, great. And I mean, 
I, I, one thing I want to ask is, like, given that, why are you not afraid of people studying these these tools like GTO Wizard, which I personally endorse as a fantastic tool? I have seen the power of this thing, and man, like, this thing is good. Or Run It oh. Once, which I also endorse uh, and mention for some reason. Um, well, I, I actually don't gain... I mean, anyway, uh, I think they're great sites. I mean, there's other ones, too, like Upswing Poker, for example, is another great one. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, Your pre-flop thing. I guess I would say, so basically I'm not trying to, but what I said was, I don't think that GTO Wizard is going to harm the health of the game sort of like at my, in my games, Um, just because the people that try hard and want to be that good, they're going to have something like that already, or they're going to have done the work or they're going to have their own library. And then, so I think it's probably more harmful for games where, because it gives very good, reasonable shapes of strategies that otherwise people would not be aware of, right? So if you're talking about games on the internet, like somebody that plays, goes in and plays on ACR every Sunday and used to just like watch football and like click around and lose a big like 40 to 60% negative ROI. They can now click around once a week in GTO Wizard. They've got their pre-flop stuff. Like, they're going to get much more reasonable at playing the game. I just don't think that it's going to impact high stakes because if you're a pro that's playing 25Ks or 50Ks or 100Ks and you don't have a baseline for what GTO Wizard offers, I you probably shouldn't have been in the games in the first place, to be honest, right? Like, that, that's kind of my point is that these tools are really good at making mid-stakes players maybe or or some some recreationals that didn't do any work it's a really nice shortcut to get them a whole body of work to sort of get the shapes of strategies but at the highest level i just don't think i'm just not that worried about it just because if you weren't doing that stuff in the first place since you know like a lot of you know the po i think po became very like it was probably 2015 where everyone started using it. So mm-hmm. if you just started, six, you know, last year, six years late, it's a little, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I just think basically that's kind of what I meant. I didn't think it's not a good tool. I do. I would say in terms of public tools in general, it's, it's difficult because all the preflop is different. The inputs are different. So there's some very extreme outputs that may not be even close to real life and, without the ability to interpret them and understand them. If you're just copycatting, I do think that could be harmful to some strategies as well. But I agree with you that taking someone that's very unrefined, it's going to increase their win rates like exponentially. They're going to get the, basically the the steepness of the learning curve is insane in the beginning when they're going to go from nothing to being able to click around and have like reasonable answers. So I agree with you for sure on that stuff. And then, Run it once. Those type of things, those type of products are totally different in my opinion and very valuable to just listen to great poker players talk about poker. You know, like it's even, I, I, I love to watch some some guys that are really good at theory just explain stuff. So mm-hmm. I think they're two different things. And if you get to the point where you have something like GTO Wizard that has a little pop-up with Daniel DeVoris in this, on the side to explaining why you're doing this with this strategy or whatever, like that's, that's an amazing tool. Yeah. 
but that's uh but that's also what makes me think like where's the edge at these super high stakes tournaments right it's like you have to really be competitive uh if there's no vips which makes it really tough for these guys like it's like you got to get the latest uh, upgrades i mean this is partly why i sit here thinking man this needs to be more entertaining at least it should be fun so we're not like just yeah brutal counting out seconds and things like that i uh yeah, so I'm wondering where the edge is. I'm sitting there thinking, man, like, these guys study this way more. Maybe I'm better at ring cash game. I mean, maybe even some of them maybe better than me. Like, uh, uh, I played a lot of ring cash. Who, yeah. There's some people that are definitely better than me, I know for a fact. And, like, so where's the edge between you guys? It feels like it must be pretty small if you, you could just look up these all these powerful solutions and just study and work super hard. I think it's kind of what I've similar to what I've been saying is just, well, first of all, the reason why poker tournaments are very safe from this stuff, as opposed to like six max, no anti cash it are a few things, right? There's unequal stacks. So strategies are already off script, right? Right off the bat when you've got hundred BBs, 60, you've got a 15 BBs in the cutoff, whatever. So there's unequal stack. That's one thing that, keeps tournaments safe from all the pre-solves, right? Then there's multi-way, which is a lot of work to use public tools to have a good multi-way library. And then also multi-way sort of like theory-based play, if you want to call it that, since there's no equilibrium that even exists three ways. It's just a very bizarre sort of equilibrium that probably isn't even optimal versus humans to adhere to. So the solves for, so multi-way kind of all already brings you into this one layer removed from theory where you're playing mostly intuitively based poker, which is good for the game, right? Anything that kind of just tosses out pre-solutions or like ideas and then you're in the streets, that's good. The other thing along the same lines would be ICM, which is not binary. It's very dynamic and you have to do a lot of work to understand the nuances and not play this way where it's like, Oh, it's ICM time. I'm supposed to be tight. I'm the chip leader. I'm supposed to be loose. Like, you know, it doesn't work that way. So I think those three things for tournament poker preserve edges for people that can do the hard work in those areas, especially ICM, especially understanding all the nuances and understanding what's, again, what's important, what's not, what we want to adhere to based on the model and what we don't. And so there's those things, I think, make room for the best players that also you know, stay prepared and the guys that are the best at making decisions on the fly, it's good. It's really good. I would, I would say if we all had the same skill sets at a six max, no anti game where everything is sort of fixed, whether if you, whatever you start with a hundred BBs, maybe some stacks get up to like 300, but most of the shapes are very similar. Then I'd be much more worried about tools like that. But for MTTs, I think that there's enough, dynamic sort of play that changes from hand to hand that there is room for it to have edges, especially if you're doing understanding population tendencies, doing work, node locking, what's important. Like, so all of that background work, like GTO wizard baselines and stuff, I think it's very important to then get to what's important, which is where does the population under bluff? Where do they over bluff? Where do they overfold? What nodes can I take them to? Like somebody like Mike Adamo, for example, three or four years ago, He's just really good at taking people to nodes where they overfold and then putting them all in, you know, so like, like that. actually, that's kind of our skill set. Yeah. So I think that it's easy 
on the surface to be like, oh, where's the edge? But all these more in-depth things, node locking, understanding where, where the population has leaks in certain parts of the tree and stuff, that's where the extra money is. And then when you're playing the highest stakes in tournaments, you're playing ICM poker, and that's where the extra money is too. And um, sort of, I guess I would wrap up by just, just by saying like, sort of any part of the game where everything gets thrown out and you're sort of just kind of in the wild doing what you think is best, which is like any sort of multi-way, some, you know, I, I, I deep, you know, super deep that people haven't put the time in to build a library. In these, the beginning of these tritons, you play like two, 300 BBs deep. Sometimes in a long day one, you might play some really deep stack pots. So I think there's a lot of room. Um, you just kind of got to know where to look and not get blinded by just having the simple baseline, or not simple, but just having like a rigid approach to the baseline strategies. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. Uh, so what are you coaching these days? Uh, I understand you've got also um, quite a bit of coaching, poker coaching going on. Yeah, I've coached, so I've always coached since like 2007. Uh, 2008, the same sort of, I had a group of guys that I was pretty, really close with that we all lived, uh, we all lived together at a certain point in Montreal after Black Friday. Um, and they remained online pros to this day. And then they gathered, you know, their group grew a little bit. Um, so I've always worked with the same group of online guys, which is really good for me actually, because even though they're not playing like mega stakes. The online is so competitive that just coaching them keeps me really current with uh, what's going on in online poker and stuff like that. So I love that. And then I will do, so a lot of times I'll, if people make like big final tables, like world series main event or five diamond or whatever, and they need some like quick coaching, if they have like a day off or, or even overnight, I do that. And then typically I've, I've had some guys that just like stay on after doing that. So I've gotten some private guys that are really good pros that I just enjoy coaching. And also that's great for my game. So I don't really do any coaching of, I don't coach, I haven't coached historically many people that aren't pros. Um, so it's almost more like I'm kind of doing like study sessions. Like it's certainly mutually beneficial to coach people that are, bringing new ideas and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I've got, I usually typically at any point I have the group of online guys that I've coached forever. Um, that's like six to, to 12 guys, but it's all one session typically. So it's not like I'm doing 12 different people. And then I'll have like four or five private coaching uh, guys that I'll work with, you know, like, you know, 10, 20 hours at a time. And then maybe they take a break you know, we'll do like 10 hours over the course of a month or they'll stay on consistently. So, I mean, I like it. And it's basically just work I'd be doing by myself anyway. And then, you know, for upswing, I'll spend some time every, I think I've made three now and I'm doing my fourth one this next month where I make like a 30, 35 hour masterclass. That's basically just like, I guess I would describe it like you work for run at once. It, it might just be better described as like, I just make like, you know, a ton of run at once videos and package them all into a one 35 hour thing instead of doing them a little bit throughout the year. Well, that's so, what I'm thinking to do myself because I, um, I had kind of what you had as far as the obsession thing, I had that in poker and then all of a sudden I had this 
this event happen where I just, my interest ballooned and it was like, became this point of like, holy shit, I, I tried to do like everything and it just, it like really uh, fumbled quite a few things and was very, very difficult basically. Um, and yeah, I've come to come to the realization that there's some balance between those two that might be ideal, but you do want to um, pick a focus essentially. Yeah, this seems like really the way to do things to maximize learning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think I'm probably, yeah, I do. For me, it's a nice routine when I'm not playing to do a couple hours in the morning, you know, with with coaching or my own stuff. And then maybe I'll work on the master class thing, record an hour of that, taking breaks in between, hanging out with my family or, or go to the, like after we're done here, I'll go to the golf course, do a little bit more work later on. So I think if you spread it out and you've got, and you're working with people that are that are flexible and and they a lot of the the best thing about the coaching the guys i coach is that they always bring a lot of good stuff so it's kind of like i'm just just kind of checking in and going over the con the stuff that they're bringing i'm not responsible for like creating that much stuff so when we're doing stuff for like the training sites the burden as you know it's all on me to create so that's a lot more uh challenging and taxing than coaching you know pros that i've been coaching forever where it's more like a study session at this point and I, I love that part of it too easy to stay balanced so you're saying it's more like a partnership in some kind of ways or closer to that where you've got to bring everything to the table the other way exactly yeah like making content for upswing is pretty grueling right because you're just like trying to figure out especially now like what we're talking about right so like in i made one in like 2017 before GTO Wizard, Odin, before Preflop Academy. So me just bringing my own preflop charts and reading off a bunch of PO sims at that point, that was good value add. But now you have to ask yourself when you're making this content, you're like, these guys already have all this stuff. Like they can go, they don't need me. They can go on GTO Wizard and get the same thing. So now I got to come up with a way to add value. So what's that going to be? That's going to be population reads, node locking, changing preflop based on if somebody doesn't bluff preflop, how do you react? Like, so basically I think nowadays it's a little bit harder and more challenging to make content because there's so much good stuff out there that you really need to try harder and get creative in terms of creating value for, for the people that are going to watch the content. <laughs> uh, you just, uh, you really, you really, uh, I'll hold that thought. Um, <laughs> I, I've had exactly that same idea, um, and I, I have been working on precisely that, in fact. Did you apply this kind of intense focus that you have to, or do, you, do you still use that yourself, or did you apply it to wine or other things to take it somewhere interesting? I don't have any other you know, meaningful projects going on outside of poker. I really haven't. Um, you know, if I wasn't doing poker, I was I was probably headed towards working in finance, which would be similar type stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, it's not that I'm against it or anything. I just right now when I'm full on, like we already talked about, if I'm not playing and I've got time off, I'm either going to spend it friends and family or coaching or, or, you know, like I can I can easily fill my day with some good balance of like work and and uh, doing life stuff. And I like where I'm at right now. So I definitely don't have room to add anything else um, either. 
I, right now, even if I wanted to, but I, I really don't have any projects that are, that are going on outside of poker, except for just, yeah, I mean, I, I invest pretty simply by the same formula. Everyone else does a little bit of real estate, a little bit of crypto. That's it, you know, regular stuff. So I'm just kind of still doing poker full time and I don't really have any plans to change that, especially like I said, it's only gotten bigger and better at the highest stakes now and the type of stuff that they're slating for the future. I think if I, I spent so much time on the game now, it'd be crazy for me to kind of half retire when this thing that I'm an expert at got the biggest. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think retiring would be pretty silly. There's, there's some evidence by the way of that. There's some undercurrent uh, of this game growing of there being some form of poker boom. But I really think, I really think in the super long run, there has to be some way to focus on the entertaining angle because, and that's one thing I wanted to ask you too. That was like my next question. Uh, I'll talk about some things anyways first, is that there's TV shows coming out. It's growing in other countries. It exploded in Vietnam recently. It, um, what else? It's like exploding in India or it's growing quite a bit in India and India is quite a big place. And... I mean, there's loads of just wrote, uh, rich Indian guys that want to play poker. I can tell you that. Um, but if it's not entertaining for people who want to play recreationally, then the dream can't stay alive. It has to find a way to be entertaining or give some form of value that's not money. And I think it can. I've got two ideas, avenues of value. I mean, one, people have already been working on quite a bit. I mean, I've been kind of, I've been working on the entertainment angle. Um, there's also another thing coming up. I, I, I can't even believe they did get it this far, but they wanted to bring poker to the Olympics. And my first thought was like, really, is that possible? Like it's not, there's no moving into it, but they did manage to get into the virtual Olympics, which I was impressed by. I did not know I that. Could not. Yeah. Uh, I personally dreamt of playing in the Olympics because, or a recent dream of mine is to do that, but it's extremely hard because you need to, it's, these guys are, to be an athlete is really a lot of effort, but I, I wanted to, because it was actually for the sake of bringing like peace to certain countries. It's got this like grand ideal. Um, anyway, so with regards to you, I wanted to ask the question, what is it that you enjoy so much about, uh, these tournaments? Because I'm playing in them playing them and thinking, man, is there much edge? Like, even if I get really good, I guess study my ass off so I can play with these guys and weather variants. And it's more fun yeah. just to mess with them and do some goofy stuff. <laughs> I think for me, it's, it's, um, I've all, I think I'm very fortunate to just play mostly really high stakes competitive stuff. And I just enjoy being under the pressure of trying to make the right decision and uh, for me, these streams and everything, it really switches into, I'm only focused on, am I making the, do I make the right decision or not? I'm not thinking about money or anything else. And um, I kind of enjoy that part of it, like where it's switched into this thing where it's so competitive, but at the same time, you're all, you always have like, a couple wild cards thrown in. Uh, so that combination of, you know, especially now with Triton, especially with these like half recreational fields, um, really good structures, 
really nice like deep day ones i think that it's just kind of a blend of everything i like about poker like playing deep one big blind ante kind of seven-handed or six-handed where you've got four great players and two wild cards like that's my ideal obviously it would be a lot of people's ideal game and uh that's kind of what we're getting now consistently and yeah. and uh or at least you know one one kind of recreational or a, or a pro that plays very differently you know I, I really i really enjoy the tritons too playing like the online cash guys play completely differently and they're really tough um they have a different strategy than what you're used to playing against the historically uh in the top tournament pros so it's just an interesting blend of strategies that i think it's fun to try to figure out and um yeah if it was if you know like some some days it does feel like it's a little dry and boring, but for the most part, I really do like the people that we're playing against. And I think generally, if you start talking to them or, or if you the table starts talking, like it can be quite fun and relaxed. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest difference between the highest stakes and like playing mid stakes in the United States where you're playing. A lot of people are like too serious because I think they're maybe a little bit afraid to give anything away or they Maybe they just like, they think it's time to be serious at poker. But I think once you jump to the higher stakes, it's a much more like home game sort of vibe. Um, chess games, but not really tournaments, man. They're super serious in tournaments. Yeah, maybe maybe the tournaments have gotten a little bit technical and people are super serious. But I think like Poker Go has a really good vibe. Uh, everyone's pretty chill. I think for the most part, Tritons do. But sometimes you, I think it's also just like, Sometimes you're dealing with guys that are jet lagged for the whole trip because the travel is so intense. And then there's tournaments every single day and they're, they're not even, tr we're not even trying to be too serious as much as it's just like, man, I don't have the energy to like goof around today. Cause I'm like barely sleeping and I'm playing 10 hours a day, you know? So I think there's a little bit of that too. Um, but yeah, cash games are obviously a little, little bit of a better vibe, I think. And, uh, for the most part, I I think yeah, it's just it's a it's a pretty sick challenge, and they just everything's so comfortable at the Tritons, and everything the, the way these tournaments are run or have got have gotten so so good that it's hard not to enjoy it. And also, like as you can see when you come like Cyprus or Vietnam or wherever, it's just like great place to hang out, great place to be. Food's usually good, so yeah. But I agree. I can I, I can see the regs being too serious. It's it's a very technical game, and things are changing a lot. There's a lot of pressure, so maybe um, well, if uh, if you're in in on changing that, uh, well, I'm in on changing that. I hope you're in on changing that too. All the seriousness, you gotta change yeah. the, more more fun in the picture. Get some. I some do think we gotta there. do. We definitely have to do something about final tables, right? Because like, it's probably right, it's so boring <laughs> to watch. What's that? I got those. I'll keep doing crazy stuff. I have no problem. Yeah, I just think the way <laughs> everything is set up for it to be incredibly boring, right? Like the stack depths are shallow. Dude, no, that's here's the thing. It has the perfect have you it has the perfect setup to bring all the showman stuff. You just need to know how to be a showman. But it's got <laughs> the perfect setup because all these twists and turns happen naturally in poker, whereas like in like I mean, I guess in sports they do too, but these other sports, uh, like wrestling or whatever, has it, and it's like totally fake, right? Like wrestling is yeah. fake, like improvise. But a poker just happens anyways, and you can just if if 
you knew how to be a showman, it's like a real thing. That's a that's what I'll be investigating anyway. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I mean, something something needs to get better with the viewing of poker, right? Because yes. it's too boring and too dry. And I think Poker Go does a reasonable job in Triton too. Like they get mm-hmm. enough interest, but there's just not enough to work with currently. And I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Like I'm just serious and do nothing at final tables, but I'm also kind of just like at work and trying to make money. So. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we're about out of time. A um, uh, couple things. First thing, what's your uh, wine tasting esque review of this podcast and your experience so far? Tangy, um, rocky Definitely. finish. I, I, you tell me. Definitely smooth, relaxed. Really? Yeah, yeah. With a little, uh, little intensity. Just, just, just the right amount of intensity. Oh, really? Okay. I, I'm an intense guy. Uh, that. We'll, uh, we'll work on the, the, the buttery finish later. <laughs> got to watch this review I saw. It was incredible. Um, there was some there was some twistiness and some cherry uh, sweetness or whatever in there. Um, I just can't. I don't remember these words. I've never heard them before. But anyway, yeah, thank you for being on. And uh, appreciate your time. <laughs>